Well, good morning, good day, good evening. My name is Jill, and these are my journals out loud. And this is for Friday. It is August. I can't believe it, but it's August 4th, 2023. And we're just going to take a deep breath and dive in and speak about... Yes, I know, more Wired for Danger stuff. And uh, I wanted to talk about uh, this little epiphany moment I'm having because I am literally sitting here writing in my journals uh, and I wanted to get it out to you before the sun comes over the horizon and the day begins. Although I have to tell you, I was uh, getting ready and I shifted and the dogs perked up and came at me because they thought that the sun had risen and we're going out. So hopefully they will calm back down. I can only do this when they sleep. So with that, I'd like to say welcome. If you are new, if you are not, I'm so glad you're here. Actually, I'm so glad you're all here. And I watched a movie last night, which is kind of what's prompting this. I It was called Child 44. And it was a Tom Hardy movie. And as I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about the one of his other movies that I really, really liked, it was Warrior. Uh, in between then, he's played a lot of really creepy characters. And I was thinking it was so nice to have him kind of in the good guy role again, because I really like him as an actor. But when I started thinking about it, I was thinking, why do I, uh, what is it that's resonating with me? Because those movies, really, there was a theme to them. And I'll tell you that in a minute. Because at the same time, you know, I do my morning uh, headline check and uh, listen to other people's about what's going on out in the world while I have some semblance of connection before the sun rises. I have to have this whole life before the sun comes over the horizon, which is very stressful because, you know, it's hard to get a whole day's worth of life done before the sun comes up. But that said, you know, we're continuously moving right into this really totalitarian, scary place. And the movie Child 44 took place in Russia when it was the USSR. It was post-World War II. And it touched on, you know, a lot of the things that I've been bringing up. It started with him as a child being part of the Ukrainian uh, famine. Uh, the, I don't know how to pronounce it, Holodomor. Uh, it was a period of time where Stalin starved out the Ukrainians. 25,000 people a day were dying of starvation. Uh, and he was, his parents died and he was in an orphanage and he ran away and he got picked up by uh, Soviet soldiers and his name was changed to Leo, and it follows his life, you know, once he grows up and he becomes part of the military structure that enforces what we all think of as the really scary time in the USSR, where you can't breathe or you're accused of being a spy or a traitor and the rounding up. And it's our greatest fear, right? It's our greatest fear that, oh gosh, we're going to be part of the USSR where uh, you have a crazy person like Stalin in charge and people are just disappeared and then tortured and then that's the end of them or they're sent out into some, you know, middle of the nowhere kind of place. And so it sort of follows his process where he has to 
make decisions about what is the right thing to do in the face of this overwhelming pressure to conform because under Stalin, there's no such thing as murder in paradise. And that was something they were told, meaning uh, there is no murder and we will just cover things up. And so the movie is about uh, a serial killer who's killing children and he's an investigator and his struggle to now they're in action here, uh, his struggle to do the right thing. You know, do we pursue this person who's killing children? And that's the child 44. There's, uh, that's how many they had tracked that had been killed. And so it's, it's a really interesting uh, movie in that it pulls out some of the things that we're all learning about from that time. And I don't know if his character was real or not, but the serial killer was based on a, a real thing that was happening back then. And how the overwhelming push is to pretend like it's not happening because it goes against the narrative. And who conforms, who rises to the top, who uh, who bucks the system and has to pay the price. And this is the essence of what I've been talking to you about, this wired for danger personality and the struggle, because when we're faced with terrifying consequences, right, that we're going to be picked up and disappeared, and, you know, we think, oh, that wouldn't happen in America, but it already has. We have uh, all the people from the January 6th that were tracked by their cell phones and are sitting in prison uh, over two years, and as the trials are coming forth, I mean, just the insanity of it all, and how much torture is going on within that prison and people know about it and nothing is done. And, you know, it's, it's a testament to just because you think you're wired for danger, just because you think you'll do the right thing. Most of us won't because, and that's one of the things I think the movie demonstrates so beautifully is that trying to do the right thing often results in you being punished for doing the right thing. And, and I, you know, at a tiny level, you know, I lost jobs because I was trying to do the right thing. You know, as a social worker, I would do the right thing and I would get in trouble repeatedly. And it was so confusing because, but I'm just trying to protect the innocent, protect the vulnerable. Uh, you know, the, the the one that was sort of the end of my social work career was, uh, uh, most of you are probably aware that there's that safe haven law, right? If you have a baby uh, within the first three days, you can drop it off at the hospital or the fire station or somewhere, no questions asked, right? There's no uh, persecution. And so our hospital at the time had a baby dropped off. And because I was the social worker for the uh, children and the babies, uh, you know, I was the designated person when a phone call came in and the phone call was from someone who was identifying as the mother. And so they tracked me down and they hooked me up with this person. And I talked to her probably about 45 minutes. And it was a very powerful conversation because she was overwhelmed with her decision. She didn't know if it was the right thing to do. And I felt so happy that I could have this time with her because 
to have to process all of that in secret and alone. She hadn't told her family she was pregnant. Uh, So I was really happy that I was in a position that I could help her. So word got out that I had talked to her. I got hauled in and uh, written up for for speaking to her because I was told I was not allowed to speak to her. I don't know in which universe they made up all these rules, right? They uh, almost fired me for speaking to her. And as time went by, they had set up, it was fascinating. So they set up, uh, they were getting all this publicity. So it was never about her. It was about their publicity. So they got a lot of publicity in the paper. Then they set up a fundraising arm through the foundation. But the money wasn't going to the baby. The money was going to them. So it was a misrepresentation. And then the whole process of who gets the baby was another terrifying experience. And and again, that was sort of the end of my career because things just went downhill for me after that because it was so unbelievable what was happening, the corruption and all about personal gain had nothing to do with the baby. And I remember thinking, you know, if I have to get fired because I did the right thing, because I spoke to this woman who was uh, in a lot of pain and confusion, and I wish I could have told her it all had been okay, but the one who ended up taking the baby, it probably wasn't okay. And uh, But it was just a small little window before, you know, this was a long time ago. This was before, you know, we knew how scary everything was out in the world uh, with corruption around children is that uh, I was persecuted because I was trying to protect the baby and protect the mom. And none of that ever made sense to me. And that happened to me over and over and over again, which is why I hate the whole social work realm, because it was never about helping anybody. It was about moving bodies and uh, personal, uh, it had nothing to do with the people. And so uh, in this movie, it's the same thing. You know, he's trying to do the right thing because there's somebody out there that's killing all these boys, young young men and young little boys. and, And he's trying to do the right thing and how everybody wants to uh, stop you from doing the right thing and how as a wired for danger person you are just compulsed to do the right thing there was uh, someone had sent me a link about a little boy on a bus and he I think he was like nine or ten and I think the the bus driver slumped and was having a seizure or stroke or something and he was the only one on the bus that got up and put his foot on the brake and stopped the bus and so he, you know, all the other kids were screaming and I'm laughing because like, that's a little wired for danger kid. But then I swear right out of his mouth when they were interviewing, he said, it was the right thing to do. And there's just something in us, right, from a very young age where we can't not do the right thing. But in the bigger context of what's happening right now, and, and that's what was so interesting about uh, the movie is that it's it's as communism as we know it, you know, from the stories and the scary stuff that we learned as history and when we were in school about the evil USSR. And 
watching it happen to us right now, uh, there's this big question about what do we do? You know, what are we focused on? How do you in, make decisions in a process that you know is going to move forward? Because we can see right now that most people are not going to do the right thing. Most people are going to freeze up or hide, run away, pull back. And that's just what happens. Because when the, I don't want to say the answer, when the outcome of doing the right thing, of speaking up or anything is, you know, you get tortured and disappeared, that's a lot of incentive to just shut up and put up. And we're at the first stages of that right now. And as we are becoming increasingly surveilled and people are trying to warn others, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening, and people are waking up to something that's happening, but it's overwhelming. What do you do in just your own tiny little life? How far do you push back? Or do you just shut down? And, you know, that was sort of the question I had, knowing that this is happening, knowing that this is coming, and knowing that uh, this is our time. You know, we are falling. We are past the point of no return. We are past the point of fixing anything within our particular government and system. Do you keep fighting to try to save something that's not ever going to recover. You know, that's the way I felt about social work. You cannot be successful from the inside. It's too corrupt. There's no ability within the system to create change so that the system itself functions. And we're that in that way in America, we're that way in Europe, in Australia, in New Zealand, right? All the places that have been safe havens for Western civilization, the big places, I think, I don't know about some of the smaller places, but the big places, it's over. And so the question is, do we keep fighting? Do we just, uh, hunker down and hide out and wait for it to pass? Uh, do we leave the country? Uh, do we uh, just shut up or do we keep speaking out? Uh, do we still try and warn people or do we just keep our mouth shut and hope that whatever history we have, whether it's online or speaking with others, will pass? Because you know, as I'm watching this, it was you get picked up and the first thing they torture you to do is to name names, right? If you don't give us some names, uh, this is going to happen to you. And so people eventually would cave and who knows if the names of the others were really doing something that was quote unquote wrong or do you just give names out because... Uh, it's the only option that you feel like you have. I'm, our instinct to survive is extremely strong. And that question of do I want to live or do I want to do the right thing? Uh, it's different in the heat of a moment within a crisis point. 
it's a little easier to to uh, try and do the right thing I think as a wired for danger person when you are in the middle of the fire right you run into the burning building to save the children because you just can't not do it but in moments of quiet in moments where there is no imminent threat other than to you do we give up do we give other people up to save ourselves and most people are tuned out and don't think that this has anything to do with them but this is coming it is going to happen here in some way shape or form it may or may not happen to you but there's an energy that's building and all the pushing back all the fighting for uh, I don't think is going to be able to stop it. I don't believe that we're going to be able to return. And the reason why is that uh, it's just, it's part of our cycle. I mean, everything comes to an end. Everything transforms. And because we didn't make these decisions when there was room to self-correct, uh, we now have to experience the effects of not doing the right thing. And the only real way that we understand what is the right thing is when we experience the effects of not doing it. And I think, you know, that's sort of what's happening right now. And, and it's, one of those things that we don't want to know. We want to, as a wire for danger, we want to be able to fight and make everything okay. But for people who don't fight, for people who uh, freeze up or run away, the people who just go along, uh, that's the majority. And so part of the learning curve for all of us is that we learn much more through experience than we do through intellectual observation. And so, you know, people can talk all day long about what they want or what they think or politics or blah, blah, blah. But when push comes to shove, nothing as is as effective as having the personal experience in terms of how we make decisions. And because most of us, myself included, were checked out over the last, you know, 40, 50 years, we weren't paying attention to what America was doing in all these other countries. Of all the things that we have been a part of by supporting through our tuning out, by our freezing up, by our not paying attention, you know, the, the amount of destruction that we have and coercion that we have funded, you know, through our taxes, through our business support, through our legislation, through our government, eventually that comes back around. And by not doing the right thing, by checking out, we are now experiencing you know, the effect of the decisions that we made to not do the right thing. And that's a really tough pill to swallow. And most people don't want to because, 
you know, that goes back to what I talked to in the last podcast is responsibility. Do we have a responsibility to pay attention and do the right thing? And I would say, yes, we have a responsibility, but most of us don't because we're distracted. And Distraction takes a lot of different forms. You know, right now it's the distraction or it has been, you know, consumerism and uh, entertainment and, you know, just lots and lots of things to focus on that don't have anything to do uh, with anything of value. You know, we have sports, we have TV, we have shopping, we have uh, projects, we have all these millions of things that we can do that really don't have value at a big picture level, but they are consuming and they take our focus and our money and our time and our energy. And when they're all taken away, now you have to ask yourself, yikes, what is, what's just happened? But in the process, you know, we didn't pay attention. We got lost in the comfort and security of our culture. Uh, You know, there's, other ways to keep people from paying attention. And that's when you reduce them to such a core survival subsistence level. That's all you can do is focus on how am I going to eat today? And we see that in third world countries. You control the population. You don't let them participate because the essence of their day is taken over by just how am I going to survive? And then I'm, I'm weak with hunger. You know, I don't have a place to live. I'm helpless and it's too late. It's too late. It's too late. And so the reason I'm bringing all this up is not because there's a solution or an answer to it, but that was sort of my question. And as I you know, was watching the movie, the standout for me was the same thing I had in the last movie. I really liked Warrior is that the standout for me of both characters he played was the process that he moved through. Uh, from being someone who was a fight person to understanding uh, the consequences of what it is to be that fight person. And I don't like to use the word healing, but there's a, a healing process. There's something that happens beyond that. And that to me is uh, this fourth stage of the crucible process. And that is, you know, you get ready for the fight. You're in the fight. There's a post-fight recovery, right? So when you have a big adrenaline push in the fight and then you crash, that's that post-fight. Then there's a fourth stage. And the fourth stage is where the transformation occurs. Whether you're doing the right thing or not doing the right thing, the fourth stage is when you have the time and the space to kind of process it all out and choose to be different, choose to grow, choose choose to learn, choose to transform. And, you know, as I was outlining the time frame on all these things, it's like we're so far away from that process collectively. We're still getting ready for the big fight. We're still in the pre-fight stage, the pre-crisis stage uh, as a group. We're so far away from the part that I like, the part that says, Okay, let's just really look at what's happening here. How are we going to make, uh, how are we going to learn from all the decisions that we made through this terrible period of time? And we're not even close to that process coming. We're preparing for the worst part of it. 
And so my question was knowing all of this and understanding the cycle to it, understanding having been through it myself multiple times on an individual level, what's the answer? Do we fight and do we do the right thing knowing that we quote unquote lose the bigger fight? Do we run? If we know we're going to lose, do we check out? Do we hide? Uh, Do we shut down? Do we run away? And I ask these questions not because I have the answer, but because this is what's happening. Uh, You know, there's lots of people that are running around trying to warn you, me, all of us. This is coming. This is coming. This is coming. And, you know, those are the fight people. Please listen. Please listen. Please listen. This is coming. This is happening. You must fight back. You must fight back. You must fight back. And... Uh, You know, that's sort of the understanding of cycles. Like, there's no fighting back against the bigger cycle. In any way, in any, you know, it's no different than when a hurricane is coming. You can't beat the hurricane with a fight. But within that process, you can search and rescue. uh, You can build defenses, you can stock up supplies, but you can't stop or control the hurricane itself. And I feel like that's where we're at right now. I'm trying to have this serious conversation with you and the dogs have now activated. Ah, So in that respect, I don't have a solution for you, but to me, this is what the process is. This is the power of our process because We have to make the decision about why we're alive. Are we here to experience and just survive? Uh, Are we here to experience, to learn and understand and grow? Uh, Are we here to try and keep changing it, even if we know that we don't win? Uh, Are we here to fail so that we can understand success and failure as process and not uh, the point? Right. The point being, uh, well, if you don't win, then your life is a failure. If you're not rich, your life is a failure. If you're not healthy, your life is a failure. Right. We have a moment to look as we enter into what I fear is going to be a very Stalinistic uh, experience of the enforcer class. Uh, And that's what this character, he was part of the enforcer class, rounding people up to disappear them. Uh, You know, eventually it came to his home. Does he renounce his wife and kill her or does he stick with her, you know, and knowing what's going to happen to him if he does the right thing, if he stands up and doesn't admit to a lie in order to survive, And all of us at different points in our life, you know, are faced with these decisions. You know, that was that moment in my job. Do I do the right thing or do I, you know, try to protect my job? And, you know, that was sort of, like I said, that was the beginning and the end because, I was supposed to be happy about the fact they were only threatening to fire me and writing me up for doing something that wasn't wrong. There was nothing about what I did that was wrong. They were protecting their 
there were some other issues behind it. Basically, they were they had done some really bad things, and so they in this process. So they were trying to silence me because if I kept at it, you know, I would have uh, blown their cover, so to speak. So, uh, and I knew that at that moment, I was ready to lose my job because it was the right thing to do in that moment. And I wouldn't undo it. And I wouldn't admit that I had done something wrong. And, you know, that was, I don't know how many years ago, uh, probably 2006. So, you know, it was quite a few years ago before we had any taste of uh, political pressure to admit that we've done something wrong. But it's the same process. But I could afford to do that, right, in the sense that if I lost my job, it wasn't the end of the world. What happens when we're faced with the idea of being disappeared and tortured and killed or having our family members disappeared and tortured and killed because we didn't allow that to happen to ourselves. I mean, it's just, you know, Alexander Cholchenitsa talks about in the very beginning of his book, uh, I haven't gotten very far, Archipelago, Archipelago Gulag, but it's actually in the opening. It's not even in the book. And he asks the question, what would have happened if we had just fought the people coming to disappear us? And he talks about how uh, the beginning of the book is all the fear, all the people who became afraid, and the intentional way that the people were disappeared. It was at night. It was random. It was, uh, you know, the the people would, the officers would come in the middle of the night, and they would be loud so that they would freak everybody else out. There was, it was an intentional. Uh, or organized effort to create the maximum amount of fear. And and the, and fear is what we're really talking about. It's our nervous system that responds to fear. It's not the event itself. It's the fear that the event generates. And we all have a very different experience with what we define as fearful. And so he talks about how they would come in the middle of the night you know, bang on the door and haul people out, you know, in their night clothes, making a very public fear-based event. And his his uh, question was, what would have happened if everybody came out with a hammer or a axe or a stick and the officers rounding people up didn't know if they were going to go home that night? What would have happened if people just descended on the officers so that the officers were afraid. If the enforcer class was afraid of the people, would they have continued? And we, we don't know because that never happens. Most people are not fight people. Most people are freeze and flight people. And People have to get pushed really far before you can overcome your primary default nervous system response to fear. And that's one of the reasons why I'm talking about all this. And it's not 
about changing everything that's happening around us so that we don't have to think about it. We don't have to learn from it. We don't have to experience it. And we can go back to a disassociated, entertained, secure state of being. That is not going to happen. We have to make decisions. And I think the more you can understand that this is happening and that it's not about stopping it so that we can go back to who we were and what we had. And we're not even going to be able to create any system that's going to never have this happen again. That this is really about us and what we do to move through it. And I won't be here to have this conversation with you at the end of it. Whether I'm alive or not, I highly doubt there'll be any kind of digital platform that we can have these conversations about, oh, okay, phew, the, the bad part is over. Now we're rebuilding. The fourth stage of the crucible is the most important stage, but I don't know what to do with this either because I recognize that that nobody's going to be around to talk about that other than those people who survive it. And that's why history repeats, right? We can't, we very rarely are able to take with us wisdom from our ancestors to the future so that we stop this cycle. And that's why we have cycles because we don't learn once and then we're all done, that it's a slow process, one by one by one. And that's what, you know, the takeaway for me, you know, in his story was him coming to terms with who he was in the evil, how he became evil, even though that wasn't his nature, but he was trying to survive. And you know, at the end of the movie, it's a the uh, it's a transfer from the old system to the new system. So now he's you know from being the the bad guy in the bad system. Now he's rewarded in the new system, but the new system is still you know in the 1950s in the USSR, and it's still communism, and it's still corrupt, and it's still scary. Uh, And, you know, will he still try and do the right thing or will he try to survive in that system also? You know, in movies, we think there's this ending where everything's just okay. And in real life, there is no moment where everything's just okay. We get breaks, we get time out, we get periods of respite, but we have a really long haul in front of us. And we have to make decisions in this process. And, you know, I've been asking these questions with you and here and with myself, you know, and with others. Like, what is it, what is going to be the right thing to do? Is it going to be to fight? Is it going to be just to hide out and survive? Is it going to be to pick up and run? There is no single absolute right answer. And I get it. Most people just do not even want to think about this stuff. But the only way to end 
these cycles is to think about this stuff. And the only way that happens is one by one by one, slowly. Because it isn't a movie. It doesn't resolve itself. I think I saw one of those little facts in the corner that the original movie was like five and a half hours uh, and they cut it down to two hours and 15 minutes because people don't have the attention span, right? And that translates into our real life. Uh, we don't have the attention span to really look at these processes from a big picture. We're just busy with what's happening in our own little tiny world. And once things resolve, we don't want to think about it anymore. It's too much work. It's too hard. It doesn't feel good. Who cares? I can't change it for everybody, so it doesn't matter. But that was sort of the theme that I came away with with these two characters, you know, that he's played, is that the only way the cycle of it all ever ends is when one by one by one we make that transformation in that fourth stage of a crucible. And we'll have the experience over and over and over again, individually and collectively, until we get to the healing place. And the healing place isn't doing the right thing and then you're done. It's doing the right thing and making peace with the fact that even though you did the right thing, nothing changed. And that is a really, really hard place to get to. And now the dogs are so worked up and acting out, I can't focus on what we're talking about. So I'm going to take a deep breath. Uh, this is a lot. You know, I'm aware that these podcasts are heavy and they're overwhelming and people, I don't even know what anybody's hearing because uh, the comments have all but disappeared. And and at the same time, I don't know how to not make them about these things because that's my version of the right thing. Do I speak to the truths that nobody wants to hear and nobody wants to think about because they're not comfortable? They are not going to main, mean that you're safe. Uh, they're not even telling you to fight and do the right thing because... In many cases, that just ends up with you getting tortured and disappeared and killed, right? I mean, there's nothing good about any of this unless you look at it from, you know, at the top of the universe. And in the end, everything is okay. Getting there, though, is a nightmare. And yet nobody gets there if we don't do the process of moving through the nightmare, and that's a really hard conversation to have because when we're comfortable, we don't want to do it because we're comfortable. Well, I don't want to think about it. It's, I got, you know, I want to watch this movie. I want to go get pizza. Uh, I want to go shopping, right? I want to watch the ball game because there's no imminent crisis. And then when you move to the crisis point, you really don't want to think about the big abstractions because you're desperate. Uh, you know, you're listening for the knock on the door. You're trying to figure out how you're going to eat, uh, you're going. You're trying to figure out where you can hide your money so you don't get robbed. Like there's no good time to have these great big conversations that are ever comfortable because we're constantly moving from uh, I'm totally comfortable and safe. I don't want to think about it 
into there's too much going on. I can't think about it. Uh, you know, I'm too overwhelmed with the crises in my own life to care about it. I don't have the answer to that. You know, I just know that there's a few people who are like me that are born into the world that sit around and think about this thing. And all I can imagine is that we're trying to carry it forward, planting seeds. So anybody who's still listening, the seed has been planted and there may be a point in time where it registers and it makes sense or you share it with somebody 10 years from now it registers and makes sense because you know my the number one thing I've taken away from all of my 50 plus years of looking and trying to understand is that it happens one by one and very slowly because it's not even about doing the right thing It's about understanding the thing we don't want to know. And that is an extremely difficult process because it doesn't guarantee an outcome. It's just like when you fight to save a life, it doesn't mean that life is going to be saved. And even if you save a life, it doesn't mean that person is going to go on and be a good person. They may be the person that becomes the next Hitler or the next Stalin. You know, there's that saying, no good deed goes unpunished. Uh, I always make the joke, like 50% of whatever little creatures' lives I try to save, I end up killing, trying to save them, in the process of trying to save them. There's just no perfect way through. But there has to be a way to make peace with the way through. And that's really, you know, what I've tried to do with myself. And I'm trying to pass on by bringing up all these overwhelming points that nobody really wants to think about. Because we are manipulated through our fear. And so the more we understand how we are manipulated through our fear, we can make decisions about how we want to move forward and define for ourselves in those moments what the right thing is. And it doesn't mean it's always laying down your life for another. Sometimes it's protecting your life so you'll be available to take care of those who you are responsible for. There is no single answer or solution that makes all of this go away. There's just the cycle of it over and over and over again and who we are in the process of it. And there's this beautiful moment that can happen, whether we're aware of it or not. You can usually see it more clearly from the outside. And that's what I loved about these two characters he played. You can see the transformation. You can see the movement within the person. You can see how the story created the change that moves all of us forward by choosing to do the right thing, whatever that is, whatever the consequence. And sometimes the right thing is to run away or to hide. So I can't give you a a simple answer to any of this. I can only remind all of us that it's a cycle, that it's a process, that it's individual, that it's collective, that it's imperfect and it's uncomfortable and it's scary. And sometimes there are moments of such amazing beauty 
and healing and light and ending that you don't understand until you move through all of it. And with that, as I am winding down, so have the dogs wound down. I got to tell you, it is really hard to think and record when they are thrashing about and tearing my crap up. So uh, I have this picture, maybe I'll post it, uh, of I have set up the back that I, um, you know, needed to block them off so I could leave the trailer and leave them unattended. And that picture is of the first or one of the first attempts I had to block them out because I left a bag that was closed in their vicinity and they somehow managed to get it open and pull everything out and tear it apart. And that is the joy of having puppies. So uh, sometimes even when you try to do the right thing, it still blows up in your face. <laughs> ah, but with that said, I hope you have an excellent weekend. I hope uh, that you're all doing well. And most importantly, I'm so glad and appreciative that you are here with me during and through all of this because uh, it is only, we're only at the beginning of the really bad part. And so deep breath, my friends, and I will see you next time. <laughs>